A few years ago, uh, Kristen and I were in kind of a real season of transition. We had a lot going on, a lot of change happening in our lives. I, I was moving out of a job that I had been in for nearly 10 years, and, and we, were, we were planning to kind of start the phase of planting this church and of moving to a new city, and there was just a lot of change happening, and, and it was all good. We knew it was all right, but that did not make it easy. When you go through a lot of change, when you go through a lot of uncertainty, it's never easy. And we were in one of those seasons where we were kind of in the in-between. Like none of the things that we knew were coming were here yet, but we were still kind of attached to the things that we knew we were walking away from. And we were in kind of that awkward in-between phase. And I was working in my office one day on kind of my last big project at the job where I was at. And it was a weird time because when you're in that in-between season, when you're in that space where you're not quite out of where you are, but you're not quite where you're going, you just want that next phase to come as quickly as it possibly can. You just want it to get there as quickly as you possibly can. And it's incredible, not just in those seasons, but in, in any season of our lives, we tend to measure everything in time. We tend to measure everything in time. Even when we're asked a question of distance, we usually answer it in time. If somebody asks you how far your favorite coffee shop or your favorite restaurant or your kid's school or your work is from your house, you generally do not answer in miles. You generally answer in minutes. We answer in the time that it takes us to get from where we are to where we are going. And we always want the quickest route. And so I was in one of those seasons of transition. I was sitting in my office. I was working on this final project, and it was just such a weird dynamic because I'm working on this final project. Everybody around me in the office knows that I'm working on the final project, but there's the, this one big team that I'm working with that does not know that it's my final project. And so I'm in this kind of weird, awkward, in-between space where some people know where we're going and some people don't. Some people know that we're stepping away from this job and some people don't. And so it's just this awkward space and I'm working really hard on this project. And when I get kind of completely lost in a project, if I'm completely working through a project, often I'll lose track of time and I'll end up not eating lunch. And that's what happened on this specific day. I had not eaten lunch. About two o'clock in the afternoon, I started getting a headache. I started not feeling well. I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized that I had not eaten lunch that day. And so I decided I was going to drive across town and get a sub from my favorite sub place there in Lakeland. And so I order on the way because I'm just trying to save time. And I order on the way and I'm going to just eat it on the way back to my office because I'm so busy. I have so much to do. And when I pull into the parking lot of the place, I know that my food is ready, but I realize that I have no way to pay for it because I've left my wallet and I have no way to pay for it. They do not have Apple Pay. Apple pay. There's nothing I can do. And so I'm sitting there trying to figure out what am I going to do to pay for this food that I've driven all the way here to get. And so I realized that I don't have my wallet, but I do have my license and my bank is just right up the street from where I'm at. So I'm like, well, I'm going to just go another block or so, go into the bank, use my license to withdraw some cash and go and pay for this food. So I drive up to the bank. I walk into the bank. And at this point, I'm, I definitely qualify as hangry and I'm just upset at myself for leaving my wallet. I'm pressed for time and now it's taking more time than I expected. And so I go into the bank. I'm very frustrated. I walk up to the lady and I slide my license under the bulletproof glass and I say I need a withdrawal slip 
and she passes me a slip under the thing and I go to fill it out and this slip is like nothing I've ever seen before in my entire life. It's like, it has me completely stumped. And so I'm just trying to figure out, like, have I missed something here? Did everything about this change in the period of time since I've last done this? And then I realize that she's given me the wrong slip. And so I say, I'm sorry, this is not a deposit slip. I slide it back to her and she says, I'm so sorry. I'm very distracted right now. Um, she, she looks back at the clock and she's actually right now, they're taking my daughter back into a little procedure. She's having a biopsy. She's had a lot going on in her health and she, we don't know what's wrong with her and they're trying to find out. And she said, they've been thinking they would do this test for, for weeks and weeks and it just never worked out for one reason or another. And she was like, I, I so wanted to be there, but I, I've taken off too much time of work. So it, as it turns out, the one day that they finally actually go through with the procedure, I can't be there. And this does not happen to me often. This is not the kind of thing that I'm like constantly like feel like I'm hearing the voice of God in my life in the smallest and most mundane things. But I really legitimately felt like I should ask this lady if she wanted me to pray for her. She was wearing a cross necklace. That can be a fashion choice, but I was hoping that it meant that, she, that we were on the same page. And I said, I said, are you by chance a, a believer? Because I was going to ask, you know, if, if I could pray for you. And she said, oh my goodness, that would be so wonderful. I'm just so nervous. I'm so concerned for her health. And I said, okay, let, let's pray. And so we kind of like bow our heads with the bulletproof glass in between us. It was like, uh, it was like really high security confessional or something like that. And we're, we're sitting there and, and, I, and I say, what's your daughter's name? And she says her name. And so we, we kind of just take a moment and just for just a brief second, we, we pray. And I just say, I pray that, you know, this procedure would go well and that everything would be fine with her body, whatever's going on, that, you know, you would do what you can do. And then she gave me my cash and I went and got my sandwich and I went back to the office. And it was weird how every once in a while in these seasons, God can speak to you through the smallest little moment. Because we were in this season of life that was transitional and we were trying to rush and we were trying to get to where we were going as quickly as possible. And in that moment, when I got back to my office, I felt like I was reminded of two things based on what had happened between me and the bank lady. And the first was that God still speaks in our lives. Like, like God actually still speaks. And, and I'm not saying that you have to hear the audible voice of God in some loud, booming voice, but I am saying that we serve a God who gives us direction and who speaks into our lives. And I think that sometimes we would all agree with that. We would all say that we believe that, but we don't always live like we believe that God still speaks. But, but in the book of Hebrews, it says today, Hebrews 3.15, it says today, if you hear his voice, voice, do not harden your hearts. And notice that it says, if you hear his voice, it does not say today, if God speaks, do not harden your hearts. It says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are you listening? Because we serve a God who speaks but we don't always live like we serve a God who speaks. And this is something that we wrestle with in our own lives. We wrestle with in culture. I remember just a few years back during a political campaign, one of the candidates had said that on a particular issue, they, they just had this conviction about it because they felt that that's what God had spoken to their lives. And you can get kind of hairy when you mix what God is speaking and with politics. And I understand that, but the fallout from it was interesting to me because here's this person that has a 
conviction to say God has spoken to my life. And then a few days later in the media, a well-known media figure said, listen, we can all talk to God, but to say God talks to you is insanity. But what we have to understand is that as people who follow God, to not believe that God speaks is insanity. And that you will struggle in your life if you try to develop a life of prayer if you don't believe that God speaks. Because the point of a life of prayer is not just to speak to God, it's to have a conversation with God, to know that when you speak, that he responds. And I was reminded in this moment that God still speaks. And I was reminded by this simple story of trying to go get a sandwich and ending up at the bank with a lady whose daughter was going back into surgery, I was reminded that sometimes God will take you off the path that you think you're supposed to be on in order to get you to where you're supposed to be. I had a very specific plan of what I was going to do with the brief time I had to go get my sandwich, and it didn't go as planned. I didn't end up where I thought I would end up. It took longer than I expected, but I ended up exactly where I needed to be in that moment to serve not just my purpose of getting lunch, but God's purpose of reminding someone that he was aware of their situation, of reminding someone that he was not absent in their time of need. And this is kind of where we catch up with the children of Israel in the book of Exodus as we've been kind of walking through their story. And there's no way that we could tell every detail of their entire story without spending the entire year on it. So I just want to catch you up with where we're at. We talked about how Moses was born into a time where he really should have been killed. His life really should have been taken. But instead of his life being taken, God placed him in the palace of the very person who wanted to take his his life and used that person to prepare him for his purpose, that he became prepared for the call of God in the very place that should have taken his life. And then Moses ends up on the run in the desert, wandering for 40 years. But in that wandering, he finds himself positioned to hear the voice of God, that God wants to use him to liberate the children of Israel, his people, out of slavery and out of bondage of Pharaoh. Moses does not want to go. He is not keen on the idea. He does not think he's qualified, but God speaks and says, no, I do want you to go. So time after time, Moses ends up actually doing what God says, going back to Pharaoh, asking him to let God's people go. Pharaoh is not keen on the idea for obvious reasons. He has an entire, essentially, nation of people at his disposal to do all of his grunt work, to do all of his bidding. They're enslaved to service for him. He is not interested in letting them walk free for no reason. And so time and time again, his heart is hardened. He says, no, he says, no, he says, no. God begins to bring judgment on Pharaoh time and time again. Each time he says, no, finally, he's had enough of the judgment and he says, yes, go. And that's where we're picking up the story today is that Pharaoh has said, you can go, you can be free. Now, this is a group of people that has been enslaved for generations They've been doing Pharaoh's bidding for generations. They have been making bricks of mud and straw and water for generations. They've been building someone else's kingdom for generations. And now finally, they say they can go free. Finally, they can walk free from slavery. This would be the moment. If there is a moment, this would be the moment where you would say, I want to take the quickest, fastest route out of town. 
I want to get to the next place as quick as possible. Because in this moment, honestly, where you're going next doesn't even matter all that much as long as you're getting out of the situation you are in. And so this would be a perfect time to rush to the next location. But this is not what we see in Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. And it says this, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt, dressed and ready for battle. So in this moment where it seems as though they should have gotten out of Egypt as quickly as possible, it says God does not take them the shortest route. Because what he knows is that if they face battle, they may turn back. And when you begin to take a step towards your purpose, towards what God has called you to, it's important that you recognize that God already knows the things that may cause you to want to turn back. That God will help you avoid the things that will make you want to turn back to a life of slavery. We pick it up in chapter 14. Verse five, they're marching out and it says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Really nice way to describe slavery. We've lost their services. We've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses, all his chariots and horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Piharoth opposite Belzephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. See, it's interesting here that they say, didn't we say to you it would have been better for us to serve Egypt? Because the answer is no, they didn't. We have no account of them ever saying that they wanted to stay in Egypt. So they're on this route that makes no sense because it's longer. And what the Bible says is that God took them on the longer route so that they could avoid battle. And yet we immediately see them in what looks very much like it's about to be a battle. The Bible says that the Egyptians have overtaken them in this moment. They are out-resourced. They are outnumbered. They are completely out of options. I don't know if you've ever faced a situation in your life where you felt like you were completely outnumbered, completely out-resourced, and completely out of options. But it's a very uncomfortable and vulnerable place because we love options, we always want options, whether it's shopping or schools. If we have a health issue, the first thing we do is get another opinion. We always want options. But when we're out of options, we're left exposed. And the only thing in front of the Israelites in this moment is the Red Sea. 
The only thing in front of them is an impossible situation. This is not what they were expecting, and because it was not what they were expecting, they're ready to turn back. And isn't that how it always is? When you step out, when you try something new, when you try to step into what God has for you, and suddenly it doesn't turn out how you expected, the temptation is always to turn back. And it's kind of understandable in this moment that they would want to turn back. Because the Egyptians, it says, are right on their tail, chasing them down. But if I can tell you one thing, it's that when you step toward freedom, your past will always attempt to chase you back down and drag you back into slavery. And this is what the children of Israel are facing in this moment. In this moment, it feels like it would just be easier if we turn back. It would just be easier if we give in. And sometimes we don't even have to be dragged back to our past. We just go willingly. We just turn back willingly because we believe, as the Israelites did, that it would be better to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. And in this moment, they are feeling what we so often feel in moments where we feel like we are out of options where whatever is ahead of us seems impossible to pass, seems impossible to step in. In many ways in this moment, they are feeling betrayed by God. God led them out and now they are hemmed in. God led them out and now they are trapped. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a moment where maybe as strong as your faith has ever been, have you ever had a moment where you felt like your faith let you down? Have you ever had a moment where you felt like God let you down? He he led you to this moment, and now it seems like your destruction is imminent. Now it seems like the, the obstacle in front of you is completely impossible, and the result is always a level of disappointment a level of uncertainty in what God is doing. I didn't ask for all this trouble in this freedom. I didn't ask for all this trouble. You said that we would be free, and now things look worse than they did before. So you would think in this moment that the Israelites would still be reveling in the fact that they are free, that even though the situation seems bleak, they are in this moment free. But as humans, we have this incredible ability to choose familiar bondage over uncertain freedom. We will choose familiar bondage over uncertain freedom. And this is where the children of Israelites, the children of Israel are. That they're looking at their situation and they're saying, the impossible thing in front of me seems to be the worst option. And so in this moment, I would rather choose the slavery that I'm familiar with than stepping into this unknown moment. But what we have to realize is in these moments where we are out of options, when we are out of natural options, it is an opportunity for a supernatural experience, for a supernatural opportunity. And we pick it up in Exodus 14, verses 13 through 16. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. See, the Israelites are, are being pursued by their greatest enemy. And what's interesting about this is that the Bible is clear that God takes the children of Israel on the long road, not the road that would lead through the Philistine road is what it's called. Because what would have happened if they went down the Philistine road is they would have immediately encountered the Philistine army and probably had to engage in hand-to-hand combat on land with the Philistine army. And so that would have been a smaller army than the Egyptian army coming with all of their might and all of their chariots and all of their horse, horsemen. And so what God has done in this moment is he's actually brought the Israelites' worst nightmare, their greatest fear, their greatest enemy right to their doorstep. And they're being pursued and all he directs them to do is to stand firm. All he directs them to do in this moment is to stand firm. And so much of Moses' story, so much of the book of Exodus gives us a picture of what is to come in the New Testament. Because this directive for the children of Israel to stand firm is repeated in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 9, where, where, where it's being spoken over the early church. And it says, be alert and of sober mind for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. See, when God tells us to stand firm, he reminds us that even when we are standing firm, we are not standing firm alone. That not only is he with us, but in this moment, he reminds us that there is a family of believers that we are connected to whose stories we may not know, whose situations we may not know, but they are facing similar obstacles, similar battles. And if he's going to be faithful to them, he will be faithful to us. We are not standing alone. And so as the story goes on, the the children of Israel, as you may know, God directs Moses to to set his staff, to lift up his staff, and the, the Red Sea actually parts. The children of Israel walk through, the Bible says, on dry land. And the Egyptians who are coming after them, as they attempt to come through the same way that the Israelites have walked through, the waters crash back down and take them out. See, by taking the long way, it looked like God was leading them into battle but he was actually leading them to a place where he could fight the battle for them. He was actually leading them to a place where it may have looked like they were going to have to fight, but they never had to lift a sword. They never had to lift a shield. They never had to fight the battle. By taking the long way, God fought for them. But by leading them up against their greatest enemy, God reminded them that it didn't matter the size of the enemy. That on this journey to the promised land, God was going to be faithful to them and fight their battles for them. And God calls them not just to stand firm, but but I love that after he tells them to stand firm, he then tells them to take steps. It's like this moment where God says, will you trust me enough to stand until I give you your next direction? Will you trust me enough to stand in the face of adversity until I tell you to walk? Because if you walk in your own strength and if you walk into your own power, you're going to be walking into the sea. But if you wait for me, I will part the waters for you. He tells them to stand firm and then he tells them to take steps. In verse 15, Moses has cried out to God and it says, the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I don't like questions that seem like they have obvious answers. 
Why are you crying out to me? We're outnumbered. Our greatest enemy is right on our heels and there is literally nowhere to go. Why are you asking me why I'm crying out to you? You should know why I'm crying out to you. But God says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Tell the Israelites to move on. These are some of my favorite words in scripture because there are moments when you have your back up against the wall when you can either stay standing for too long or you can move on. And sometimes you just need to move on trusting that God is with you in the direction he sent you, that God is going to walk with you where he said he was going to walk with you. God says, why are you crying out to me? You're praying because it looks impossible. But have you ever noticed that sometimes as followers of Jesus, we tend to use prayer to delay obedience when what's ahead looks impossible? Like, well, I'm just praying about it because right now I know it's impossible. I'm just praying about it because I really don't know what way to go. The answer is take the step forward. Take the next step in the direction God has sent you. And that's what God is telling the children of Israel in this moment. See, what we have to realize in the story of the children of Israel as they're crossing the Red Sea is that the battle is the Lord's. The responsibility you have is obedience. The responsibility you have is to take the step when he says to take the step. See, the long way is often a lesson in learning how to walk by faith. And you learn how to walk by faith the same way you learn how to walk in real life, step by step, one step at a time, occasionally falling, getting yourself back up, and taking another step. See, the children of Israel had had been promised this land called Canaan. The problem with the land of Canaan was that it was already inhabited by other people. And it was inhabited by people that were pretty scary to deal with. And see, what God knew when he took the children of Israel the long way is that there was something in them that had to be built up in order to actually take the land he had for them. That if he had sent them straight there, they would have been overwhelmed and overtaken by the size of the task at hand. But God said, I will take you the long way and I will show you step by step, place by place, miracle by miracle, that I am with you the entire way and that I will fight your battles. See, the first step was to get them out of Egypt. But but they didn't quite have all of the slavery out of them. They, They still carried with them the mindset of a slave. They still carried with them the posture of slaves. See, when you live in bondage long enough, when someone sets you free, you still don't always know that you're free. You you may be walking out of bondage, but in your mind, in your decisions, you are still living like a slave. See, God knew that there were bigger battles ahead and that you cannot fight a battle if you are bound. And so God said, I'm going to do some work in your lives to make sure that you're just not physically out of slavery, that you are actually living out of slavery. See, I think some of you feel like you've been on the road you've been on for a long time. Your family situation, 
Maybe it's your health situation. Maybe it's a situation with your kids or your job, but you just never seem to get to where you're trying to go. You never seem to reach your destination and you're tempted to take shortcuts. But see, the shorter route to Canaan would have never led the children of Israel to the Red Sea. It would have never led them to that dead end. But the Red Sea was the place that they could see a miracle. Often God will position us in a place where only a miracle can help us take our next step. Only a miracle can get us through what is ahead of us. And so he teaches us to take steps towards trusting him, even when it seems impossible. See, I think what we have to get in our minds is just because it is the long way doesn't mean it's the wrong way doesn't mean that we've missed it somewhere along the way. The long way teaches you to rely on his strength instead of our own. We often think of detours and delay as some sort of defeat, as though we've been defeated. But what we see in the story of the children of Israel is that the detour, the delay, did not lead to defeat for the children of Israel. It led to defeat for their enemies. And often God is just positioning us in a place that he can fight our battles for us. See, I think so often we desire to live lives that require faith and trust, but we cling to efficiency and familiarity. We always want the quickest route. We always want the quickest way. We want the fastest phone. We want the fastest internet When Google Maps tells us that it's found a route that can save us one minute, we're like, yes, give me that route. I want my minute back. But God is teaching us to take steps because something changes when we take the long way. See, I love what Moses said when he he was about to tell them to take the next step. He said, listen, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And I don't usually get into super specifics of this kind of thing, but if you break down the language of that translation that says the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The language basically says the manner in which you see these Egyptians, you will never see them again. It's not referring to the fact of like, these Egyptians are gonna die, you'll never see them again. It's saying that you will never see them the way you saw them before. You saw them as the people who triumphed over you. You saw them as the people that enslaved you. You saw them as the people that ruled you. But from now on, you will see them as defeated. And when you take the long way, often what you get in return is that you get to see your past defeated. And you get to see your God victorious. And then you get to see the potential of your future. See, God was clearing their vision of the way they viewed their past as binding them, as the way they viewed their past as holding them captive. After they've crossed the sea in chapter 14, verses 30 and 31, it says, that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, their servant. The long way changed their vision. It changed what they saw. It changed what they trusted in. And there are things 
There are moments in our lives that change everything. There are moments in our lives where we have this perspective shift where we realize that everything could be different. This is the moment that the children of Israel are having. Because see, it's this moment that leads to a generation of children of Israel having children who are born into freedom. They are born into freedom and they are born to free parents. This is the first generation in many generations that only knows freedom. But that freedom took place in the wilderness. It took place in a place that many people would not say felt like freedom. But see, the long way gives you the opportunity to get free from some things that you cannot carry into your future that you think have been binding you that should no longer have power over you. I was, I was fascinated by this story I read a while back um, about the circus. And we're in Sarasota, so it's like Circus City. And I read this story about the circus because as you know, the circus had like, back in the day, they don't do it anymore, but back in the day, the circus was known for like extremely well-trained elephants. And elephants are big animals. Elephants should not be animals that you can easily control, that you can easily tame, that you can easily tell where to go. But I read this story from someone who trained elephants for the circus. And they said it was actually quite easy to train elephants when they used to do it because the moment the elephant was born, they tied a rope around one of its back legs and put it in a stake in the ground. And so this baby elephant was confined to just the circle that it could walk when it was attached to this stake in the ground. And it would grow and it would grow and it would grow until finally this elephant weighed tons. This elephant weighed thousands of pounds. But because it had spent its entire life feeling the tug of a stake in a ground, it thought that any time that it felt that tug, it could not go any further than that small circle that it was confined to. And so when these elephants grew to full size, when they would get them out to the places where they were going to do the circus, they would simply drive a stake in the ground, tie a rope around its leg, and it would stay confined to the circle, not realizing that it had grown enough to be able to easily pull that stake out of the ground. And I wonder how often we do the same thing with our past. I wonder how long we do the same thing with our sin, with the things that keep us bound. We grow up with them in such a way that we don't realize we've grown enough to pull the stake out of the ground and follow God's path. Because when we feel that tug, we assume we're still confined to this circle. We're still confined to this moment. See, this is why God took the children of Israel the long way to build them up and remind them, you are big enough to pull that stake out of the ground. You are big enough to walk the path that I have for you. You are no longer bound to your past. But we have to have the courage to trust in the delays and in the detours and in the transitions so that we can take those steps towards God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?